Food Heals Nation, what have you been doing lately when it comes to truly caring for your skin? Have you tried any of the light therapy facials or the LED masks? I've shared on this show how I use lasers to completely remove my brown spots in the past, and I love anything that can help me with wrinkles or blemishes or redness or scars. I find a lot of great products on YouTube that I test out, and I've just discovered a new brand. It's called Lima, and when you see the before and afters on YouTube, you're going to be a convert too. They are changing the way that you care for your skin on actually a profoundly scientific level. This is the Lima laser. It's the world's most powerful clinic grade cosmetic laser device and the only laser FDA cleared for at home use. Why this is important is because I was spending, I'm not going to tell you how much, way too much money years ago when I was getting rid of those brown spots when I was really healing my skin. And now This same type of technology is available at home, and I'm here for it. I am so excited. So this is a near-infrared laser light that penetrates deep into the dermis, simultaneously working on your fat, muscle, and bone to give you like a non-surgical facelift. It transforms your skin. It helps skin issues like wrinkles, sagging, blemishes, pigmentation, redness, breakouts, and scars. And it does this with zero damage, zero pain, and zero downtime. And I remember the lasers that I used to do, they did have some downtime, so this is great. Make sure to check out some of the before and after photos on the website so you can see what I'm talking about. They have YouTube videos too. But the reason it's groundbreaking is it uses that near-infrared low-level light technology, which is completely cold and painless, and it's 100 times more powerful than an LED. And the craziest part is you can even use it with a full face of makeup. So check it out for yourself. Visit lima.life. L is for live. Y is for younger. M is for masterful. A is for approved, and learn more about the Lima Laser. If you're interested in trying one today, you can sign up for their newsletter. Tell them that Food Heals sent you, and please let me know if you order one. I want to hear about your results. Again, it's lima.life, L-Y-M-A dot life. Y'all, oh my God, Food Heals Nation, I just got the softest sheets and pajama set from Cozy Earth, and I had to go and get you a discount code too, so that you could experience the coziness as well. You can visit CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS, and you'll get an exclusive 35% off. So Cozy Earth, it's like your one-stop shop for what they call the luxury she deserves. So listen up, guys because this could make a great gift for that special someone, your girlfriend, your wife, the mother in your life. And don't forget, Mother's Day will be here before we know it. So get a gift for the mom or moms. Here's a nice little gift you could ask for. Anyways, let's start with the sheets to transform your sleep. The coolest thing about Cozy Earth Bedding is that it is temperature regulating. So you stay cool, which is so important when you're sleeping. Plus they are just so soft. It feels like I'm sleeping on a cloud. Plus I love the cozy earth quality and longevity promise. All products come with a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty. So incorporating cozy earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and just overall wellness. So Again, this is the luxury you deserve. You can treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. 
And while you're at it, don't forget to check out the Bamboo Pajama Set. It was awarded Oprah's Favorite Things in 2019, so you know it's good. I love the softness and breathability of the fabric, and it has these really great side pockets. And don't forget that by supporting our sponsors, you support this show. Head over to CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS for an exclusive 35% off, and go get your mom the luxury she deserves on Mother's Day at CozyEarth.com with promo code FOODHEALS. Food Heals Podcast, Episode 161. From a physician's perspective, marijuana shouldn't be classified as a class one substance. It does have medical value. It's not highly addictive. So it's definitely misclassified. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals Podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals Nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put in their Lululemons and take a yoga class while drinking a green juice. If you experience any of these symptoms, text your priest immediately. All right, welcome Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining us. I'm Allison Melody. And I'm Susie Hardy. Today we're delving into a topic we're super excited about, medical marijuana. We've often mentioned it on our show, and now we're excited to dedicate an entire episode on the topic. Our guest is Dr. Rachna Patel. Rachna has been practicing in the field of medical marijuana since 2012. Rachna completed her medical studies at Toro University College of Osteopathic Medicine and Northwestern University in Illinois. She walks her patients through how to safely and effectively use medical marijuana for their specific medical conditions without getting high from it, without getting addicted to it, and without smoking it. So next up, our interview with Dr. Rachna Patel. The Food Hills Podcast starts now. Today we're here with an awesome guest, Dr. Rachna Patel. Rachna is a medical marijuana expert and has helped thousands of patients improve their health and just feel better. Welcome, Rachna. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So glad to have you. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am a doctor that specializes in medical marijuana. I have an office based out of uh, the Bay Area in California, and I consult with patients, and I walk them through basically how to safely use medical marijuana for their specific medical condition. And what drew you to doing that? So kind of an interesting story. Um, I came across an ad on Craigslist. Um, I was not expecting that answer. (laughs) Please go on. It, it sounds so shady, but here's the thing. I Texas hate to, can be, yeah. I, I hate to admit this publicly, but I kind of never gave up on my dumpster diving ways from back in college. <laughs> and you just never know what kind of cool stuff you can find on Craigslist. So that's what I was doing. I was wired. I was like, I think I had worked like 90 hours that week and I just couldn't fall asleep. So I was just surfing around. And um, I happened to click on the There's like a healthcare button or something like that. Yep. It just happened on an ad that said medical marijuana doctor needed. And I was like, whoa, this is really interesting. So from that point onwards, I started to, you know, explore the field because I didn't even know it had existed prior to then. I started to look into the research behind marijuana and its medical applications and was definitely compelled especially when it came to chronic pain, because at the time I was training in the area of emergency medicine. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what I was seeing were overdoses that came in on a lot of 
pain management medications like opioids. A lot of them were intentional overdoses, and then there were unintentional overdoses, you know, a lot of elderly patients that were on, you know, 20 plus prescription medications. I was also seeing patients that started off on these medications, you know, to treat pain, mm-hmm. but then would come in what's called drug seeking, right? They they had basically become addicted to these medications. You know, they, they try to finagle a, a prescription at ER doctors. Right. So basically, I saw this as a good alternative to managing chronic pain than what was already being uh, prescribed. As far as I understand it, there isn't a ton of research out there because it's still schedule one federally and sorry go ahead i mean like you didn't learn this in medical school right no i never learned anything about marijuana other than the fact that it's a drug of abuse right um well i never gateway drug right so you you were able to find some evidence that it helps manage pain and therefore it piqued your interest Yeah. So here's the thing. I came across a really interesting study. Actually, it was a study done in the Bay Area by a physician by the name of Dr. Donald Abrams. It was given to, I believe it was like HIV patients who were experiencing nerve-related pain. What they found was that these patients continued to take the opioid medications, but they ended up taking fewer, a lesser dose of the opioids than when they were using marijuana with the opioids. So that definitely fascinated me. So, you know, we do have research in humans. It's not like there's no research, but it's in very small sample populations. Really, you know, you need a population of like over 200, 250 to say, okay, this makes sense. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it could just be considered coincidence sort of thing. That's really where we're missing information is information in large scale studies. And as far as I understand it, there is one place in the United States, it's the University of Mississippi, where they have approval from the U.S. government, the federal government to study the effects of marijuana that's pretty much it. The research is so limited and it's it's very much a catch-22. It's like, well, the government always says, well, we need more research, but because it's Schedule 1, right. uh, they <laughs> consider it as bad as heroin in terms of oh, no, meaning no medical value and highly addictive that there's right now one place that's allowed to study the effects <laughs> uh, statistic or, you know, in a scientific st- setting and that's pretty much it. So there's very little yeah. scientific research that has been allowed Yeah. And the thing is, is that what they're growing, from what I know, is nowhere near the potencies that you can find in products at medical marijuana dispensaries, like in Colorado or in California. What they're growing in Mississippi? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not really representative of of the strength of products that are available nowadays. Right. I'm not that's. Surprising in a way, but not so surprising. Right, yeah. right. So that was the most compelling piece of research that I had found. As a physician, you don't want to just have the knowledge, but you also want to have the, the experience. Cl- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, to to go with it. <laughs> and so, um, so I decided to work at a medical marijuana clinic, and that's when I was really taken away by the results because not only did I see patients reduce the dose of their prescription medications, but I was now seeing patients come off of their prescription medications and just use medical marijuana to to manage their symptoms. So that came as a big shocker to me. And I did that. I started that back in 2012. But here's the thing. The industry has, you know, for lack of better term, shady roots, right? So a lot of the clinics that popped up 
once marijuana became legal for medical use in California, were basically like mills that were handing out yes. marijuana, right? Yes. So this place that I worked at was one of those mills. And so a year later, I mean, I, this was not the type of medicine I wanted to practice, right? I really, I enjoy the patient interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, I get a lot out of it. And I'm sure my patients get a lot out of it too. So I decided, you know, once I gained enough capital, enough experience that I wanted to start my own practice, which I did. And then I really started to focus on how to safely use marijuana because there's nuances to it. You know, it's not a one size fits all medication. Right. And what kind of conditions do you commonly treat and how do you figure out the uh, amounts? Chronic pain, anxiety and insomnia are the most common conditions that I treat. Within chronic pain, that's a really broad umbrella, but conditions like fibromyalgia, neuropathy, arthritis, those are some of the more common conditions that I end up treating. Now, when it comes to figuring out how to use the medical marijuana, it's really going to depend on the patient and the combination of conditions that they have. So basically what I'm walking them through is what, you know, what combination of chemicals will work the best what method of delivery will work the best for their conditions, how much to take, how often to take it, when to take it, how to avoid side effects in the first place, but also what are the side effects and what to do in case patients do get side effects. And then I'm going through a bunch of other stuff as well, but that's sort of the basic gist of it. As far as I know, I have a certain perspective on medical marijuana um, in terms of at least my own personal experience. I grew up in a household where my parents were very okay with alcohol. We had a lot of alcoholics in our family, people that died from it, actually. But marijuana was just not okay. And I went to UC Berkeley. And mine was the opposite. My dad was like, don't drink, don't do drugs, smoke weed. (laughs) Which is so crazy to me. Which is what I never really did. You never did. I know. Like Uh, a couple of times, but I never, it's just not my thing. Yeah. But I went to UC Berkeley. And they called pot the ca- the campus air freshener. Like, <laughs> it was everywhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And my perspective slowly changed ever since then. And um, so as far as I understand it, you correct me if I'm wrong, no one has ever died from marijuana use. Is that correct in your estimation? Yeah. It's nearly impossible to die from an overdose on marijuana. And interestingly, being a former ER doctor, I did have quote unquote overdoses on marijuana come in to the emergency room. Basically, these patients would complain of a couple different things. One, that their heart was racing. And in fact, it was racing, right? It was above what you would consider the upper limit of normal. The other thing that they would complain of is that they're experiencing really high levels of anxiety. They're experiencing paranoia. Right. In no situation did we ever have to bring out the resuscitation cart like we had to do with opioid overdoses or alcohol overdoses. Is it correct that marijuana is neither a depressant nor a stimulant, that it's sort of dependent and sort of in between? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I haven't really found that, like, for instance, in the case of depression, I haven't really found that it helps depression. Yes, it does cause a euphoric effect, but it's a very short-lived euphoric effect. So it's not a good long-term treatment for like depression, for instance, right? Um, So I haven't found patients with, in the instance of depression, say that that it makes, you know, it helps to improve their mood. But I also haven't found these patients tell me that I feel more depressed when I use marijuana. And just in general, I haven't found patients say, you know, when I use marijuana, I feel more depressed. That hasn't been the case. Right. I would actually agree with that with my own personal experience. I've dealt with depression throughout my life. 
Mm-hmm. And I can't say that it necessarily helped depression, but didn't make it worse for me at yeah. all. People haven't really ever died from it. And overdoses, while they may be very uncomfortable, I'm sure with, especially with people that may have taken too many edibles, because that is a different way of your body absorbing the phytochemicals that while it may be very uncomfortable beyond that, an overdose on marijuana, what's the worst part of it? Just being really uncomfortable, f- feeling a lot of anxiety, having a heart, your heart race. Anything else? Not that I found clinic, but here's the important thing. We don't have a lot of data when it comes to research on the long-term effects of marijuana, okay? But here's the interesting thing clinically. Generally, when someone's on a medication long-term, they'll start to come in and start to complain of the same thing. You know, every patient that's on the same medication, like, let me give you an example, patients on antidepressants. The most common side effects that patients experience is it impacts their sex drive, it impacts them emotionally in that they, a lot of times they'll complain to me that they feel emotionally numb. Okay. So basically, yeah, they don't feel as depressed, but they're not experiencing, say something happy is going on. They won't feel the level of happiness that they'd like to feel. That was my exact experience. Me too. Me too. Yeah. So now when it comes to marijuana, I've been doing this now for half a decade. So I've treated thousands of patients And in addition, I've seen patients that have been using marijuana since like back in the 60s on an almost everyday basis. Mm -hmm. And what I have not found as of yet are patients complaining of common side effects. I haven't found that to be the case at all. There's these short-term side effects, which can very easily be controlled with dosing because it's all dose-dependent, but nothing long-term that I've come across. And I've even treated adolescents as well, you know, for a couple of years now. And I have a question for you, ladies. Susie, feel free to weigh in as well. Okay. Can marijuana? Can, <laughs> oh my god! I'm giggling. Can, I I okay. Go ahead. Can marijuana treat type A personality disorder? Yes. Do you, know, you know, I didn't even know that that was a, a real disorder. It's but not. It's, it's not. not. I'm it's, sure it's not. It's my disorder. So 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 type A. For our listeners, yeah. if, I know I know Dr. Patel knows what this probably refers to, but like type A is like very controlling, very uh, go, 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 overachiever, kind of Can't like stop, warrior. Stop. Work hard, play hard. I, w- <laughs> I would say yes. I, I'm going I'm to speak from a place of personal experience, uh-huh. being an overachiever oh. who can tend to border on type A. <laughs> I haven't found that it, it affects my motivation in any way, you know? That's I, my biggest fear. I'm sorry. I thought yeah. you were saying the opposite. Does it help type A? No, no, I was. And and so th- that's actually what she's saying. Like that's learn my to freaking fear. relax. So it is, for <laughs> me, I'm asking, would it help me relax? But then my fear is exactly what she just said, that it would affect my motivation. So continue. I, you know, uh, I'll just, I'll give my short response here. I think it can help with so many different things. I think that it's been marginalized and demonized for a variety of issues, which could be a whole other podcast politically and historically. Sure. And that what the world, or at least the United States, the Netherlands has already known this, but what the United States slowly, state by state, is discovering is that it's nowhere near as bad as the drugs that we allow our society to have, like alcohol, like tobacco. Is it a drug? Yes. Does it kill people? No. Does it have medicinal values? 
Yes, 100%. I think it does. Yeah. In many, for many different things and in many different ways, you can isolate different compounds. You know, one of the strange uh, objectives that some members of my family have, have always said is like, oh, it's got so many different types of chemicals in it. And it's like, but they were always gardeners. My, my family had lots of gardens. And I'm like, yeah, but it's a weed. It's a plant. It's not like meth. We're not creating it from cat litter and cold medicine. Oh, God. It grows in your garden and it actually helps with the soil and it used to be very okay like mm-hmm. this it, it's just really fascinating how something that can help people in a variety of ways if not only just to relax because let's look about let's talk about say wine where people right where dr patel is the whole wine sonoma you know wine industry up there in northern california and along along the california coast they say there's some benefits to red wine right for your heart or your blood but alcohol really doesn't have any medicinal value that we know of. It just it's fun. It relaxes you. It's a it's a depressant to your nervous system. It kind of relieves stress. It's a social bonding experience. Marijuana and different cannabinoids actually have been found to help a variety of different things. And yet it's been so demonized for so long that people are so very resistant to it. And it's it's a very exciting and interesting time to be awakened by it, I think. Dr. Patel, would you agree? Yeah. So here's, I'm going to give you a little history lesson as to why it's been demonized, especially in the United States. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this history, but basically marijuana was available over the counter at pharmacies until 1937 in the United States. Mm -hmm. So all the way from the point that it was introduced to the Western world, which was in 1850 to 1937. Okay. Okay. But what happened in 1937? Well, you had this man named Harry Anslinger, who was a politician. He was, I think, very openly racist. And at the same time, economically, you had the Great Depression going on. And you also had a big migration of Mexicans into the United States. And a lot of them ended up working in the fields. But yet you had Americans without jobs, right? So there was this resentment towards Mexicans. And at the same time, you had this politician who, again, was openly racist. So essentially, now, the other part of it is, is that the the Mexicans that came in, marijuana was used recreationally in the culture, right? Mm -hmm. So there was sort of this propaganda to, it was really against, you know, the Mexicans, but they used marijuana as a vehicle. They also Uh, used it as a medicine. I've met a Mexican-American woman who said her grandmother used to take the leaves, put it in a bottle of alcohol and use it as a tincture because it would, the alcohol would pull out the THC and then use it as a, maybe take a swig of it or use it as a tincture on skin or to relieve, to actually, no, yeah, actually would rub it on skin to relieve aches and pains. So yes, you're uh, absolutely right. It was used recreationally to smoke as well as in other forms. Yep. Yeah. And so basically this guy, Harry Anslinger, what he did was he implemented what's called the Marijuana Tax Act. And anybody who wanted to either grow marijuana or sell marijuana had to pay an exorbitant amount of money to have this paper that basically said that, you know, the government allows you to grow to sell marijuana sort of thing. And basically, you know, essentially it deemed it illegal. The other interesting thing is, is that have you heard of the Hearst Corporation? Yes. This is the one I yeah. know. Yes. William yes. Hearst? Yes. William Randolph Hearst. Okay. Uh-huh. Yes. Of yes. Rosebud. Yeah, Rosebud. <laughs> uh, the, you can visit uh, his castle in Northern The newspaper magnet. Yes. I yes. will let you fin- tell the story. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. So basically, he, I think he owned like a whole bunch of newspapers and he also owned all the paper mills, right? Mm-hmm. And he owned so- a lot of land with trees on it in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. yeah. And so big competition to his 
companies that he owned was hemp, you know, as a means of producing paper. Basically, all of this comes together. And, you know, 1937, it becomes almost impossible for anybody to grow, to use, to sell marijuana. Yeah, as William Randolph Hearst actually would put out ads in his papers saying, marijuana is the devil's lettuce and it's coming yeah. from these immigrants and, and it's bad and you'll kill your children. So stay away from it. But, you know, and then meanwhile, people slowly got the government also to stop using hemp for paper and rope. And he also enlisted the DuPont family who there used to be hemp rope. The DuPonts just came out with nylon. So they kind of joined forces and villainized hemp and marijuana. And then therefore he could print, he could cut down all these trees and make his self rich by using his own trees to print his own newspapers. And that's the, that's the story I know. What an yeah. asshole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what an asshole. Uh, basically, you fast forward to the Nixon era. and Also that's an what- asshole. Yeah. Sorry. I hate Richard Nixon. The th- he did so much bad stuff from our health care system. To- Please go on. <laughs> Please stop, Susie. I hate Please. him. Please interrupt. <laughs> Dr. Patel, please interrupt. So yeah, Nixon Nixon came into the picture and that's when they instituted the Controlled Substances Act, right? And this is where they and I think at some point the DEA came in and started classifying medications. But but basic point is is that from a physician's perspective, marijuana shouldn't be classified as a class 1 substance. It does have medical value, it's not highly addictive, so it's definitely misclassified. Obviously, there's a political agenda behind the classification, there's an economical agenda behind the classification as well. What are your thoughts on how California, as well as other states around the country, Nevada, uh, Colorado, Maine, well, yeah, Colorado's already there, but recreationalizing marijuana? Okay, so here are my thoughts. On the one side of it, there I know from treating a lot of patients that there's a lot of hesitation to have to go through the process of seeing a physician because People want don't want to have a paper trail following them, especially when it comes to marijuana use. Because, you know? of, because of the stigma. Yes. Um, or just repercussions, well, you know, whether it has to do with employment, whatever, right, sort of thing. So, so it's good in that sense that it eliminates barriers for patients that can really benefit from the use of medical marijuana. Now, what concerns me as a physician is that you can definitely overdo marijuana, right? And there are certain populations where it can do them more harm than good, right? So examples would be patients who are prone to psychotic episodes. Um, if you overdo marijuana, it can lead to hallucinations. And a lot of these patients can then be easily thrown into a psychotic episode. Worst case scenario, they start to have suicidal thoughts. They start to have homicidal thoughts. We, we don't want that. What proportion of the population, though, do you think are susceptible to those kinds of episodes? mainly patients who have been diagnosed with conditions such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. So I would have to look up what the prevalence of these conditions are, you know, in the American population. Then the other thing is patients who have heart conditions, right? So again, one of the side effects of marijuana, if you overdo it, it can increase your heart rate. Do you know why that is uh, scientifically? Like how does marijuana increase our heart rate? I don't. No, I don't have any information on that. And none that I've encountered in the research that I've reviewed. Um, But it is well known, even in the research, that this is a side effect that a lot of users of marijuana report. But again, it's dose dependent. Right. They take it in excess amounts. So anybody who has an underlying dysrhythmia or 
um, you know, they have clogged arteries, putting this sort of strain on the heart could put them at risk, right? right? Yeah. Uh, and then obviously anybody who has any lung conditions like emphysema, asthma, shouldn't be inhaling marijuana. Um, and then there's a whole category of, and this is actually a bit controversial, women that are pregnant and breastfeeding. Mm. The jury's sort of out on what happens to a, a growing fetus, a growing baby when exposed to marijuana. There are some research that says that it can cause low birth weight, it can cause premature labor and delivery. And then there's some research that says that it doesn't. I, as a physician, err on the side of caution. Right, um, right. And, and I don't recommend to women that are pregnant or breastfeeding. But when, you know, it's available for recreational use, anybody can use it. Right. Sort of. So so I see both sides of it, essentially. But so interesting that we know the devastating effects that fetal alcohol syndrome can have. Obviously, yeah. you should not drink a lot or at all during pregnancy. I know that in France, they sometimes have some wine, especially later in pregnancy, like maybe half a glass or something like that. Or they also say, I think in sometimes uh, in some cultures in Europe, that like a little bit of beer is helpful for milk production or they'll have a Guinness that has vitamin B. But interesting that there, and again, yes, there isn't a lot of definitive statistical research, but we know absolutely alcohol no good during pregnancy, right? Medical mar or marijuana, we still need to find out some more. That there isn't a definitive like, no, this is not good for babies. Not that I'm encouraging that either way, but I just find it's again. This is my, well, <laughs> this is me going on my own journey of like reverting back from the way I was raised. Like it's so bad to be like, wait a minute, it's not necessarily as bad or anywhere near what you're saying, right? Like smoking is legal, alcohol is legal. Those things are absolutely detrimental smoking's to... just shitty for you straight up right like, there's no yeah. <laughs> no and, and reason to do it i mean not even i mean even prescription drugs and prescription know? drugs oh my god let's talk about prescription drugs let's talk about dr patel i get so angry you know for the longest time i'm not doing it so much anymore but i was auditioning a lot for i'm an actress trained actress and i was auditioning for commercials and i'd go out for these drug commercials the mm -hmm. ones with all the side effects at the end of them. Yeah. And the ones that you're like running through a field of flowers. And it's like, and then they start the side effects may include death, <laughs> anal leakage, heart, yeah. heart, high heart rate, heart palpitations, stroke, dis dismemberment, whatever it is. Like the ridiculousness that Outrageous. would go on and on and on. And they continue to. The fact that they advertise these, because there was a time, I don't remember at what I guess it was the, maybe the late 90s where they changed the law that you could now advertise prescription drugs directly to the public that have no idea. They like, ask your doctor for this drug. And you do. And when I was 20 I years didn't. old. I didn't. Did you? Yes. When I was 20 years old and completely clueless about food, nutrition, holistic health, everything. Yeah. I saw a drug commercial and I said, well, I'm obviously depressed, so this is going to help me. There's oh, a girl rowing a boat. Yeah. Look at that girl <laughs> rowing that boat. <laughs> really? Or the happy. little blue bouncing, blue bouncing dot. He's sad and then he's happy. I lived in North Carolina yeah. and we just saw those commercials and we're like, See, I never yeah. believed them. I never believed them. But the fact that they advertised to the, I mean, I just think that's criminal. Like it's one thing for them to, and I know that they full on lobby physicians with oh. drug reps and bribe them and yeah. give them gifts and, and, and try to, you know, tell them about the new thing versus just having some sort of normal system. It's like, this is available. And if you think your patient could benefit, but here are also the horrendous list of 15 pages of side effects. Um, yeah. It's just so crazy to me. Yeah. So here's what's interesting. I remember when I was in college, I had a couple of friends whose parents were doctors and they'd come back from like winter break and they'd have gone on these like lavish vacations. And I'd be like, well, who's paying for this? 
And they would just say, oh, it's the pharmaceutical company. Pfizer. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, oh, the whole family would go. Yeah. Uh, on, on vacation. And there, of course, there's a lot of undue influence going on there. But here's what happened back when I was in medical school. I think this was around 2008, 2009. The government passed what's called the Sunshine Act. And it's to the point where... That sounds um, really nice. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're trying to cover up something really, really bad. Oh, my um, God. Right. Uh, but they stopped even letting drug reps give us pens that had the names of uh, medications. So I think it is improving a little That's bit. Good. But but I think the influence is is still sort of there. Actually, what's really interesting is that I was talking to a doctor who had been practicing in Texas for a while. And he was telling me, you know, for the longest time, they would get like middle-aged white men as drug reps, right? And then I think all of a sudden they realized, okay, this is not young, effective. Young hot girls. Yeah. Yes. These were former Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders that they were now sending out, you know? Oh. And and of course the doctor that that I was working with, he was a middle-aged white man and he was like, "I don't seem to mind this." <laughs> <laughs> so, um so yeah, there's and the other interesting thing is recently I was reading an article in the Washington Post that this recent election marijuana was up for legalization in Arizona. Yeah, I don't think it's it's been legalized medically, but I do know that in the article they talked about how this one pharmaceutical company dished out a half a million dollars to lobby against the legalization of it in that state. Of course they did. They're they have the one, they're the ones that have the most to lose right now. Yeah, um, I also have heard about the drug companies are trying to get in on it because look, if there's something you can grow next to your lettuce and your tomatoes that can help you in a variety of ways or help your neighbor or your mother or your autistic child, they don't make profit. And there are actually examples of synthetic, there's a lot of uh, drug companies that are trying to make synthetic THC or CBD. And so they can make money. And there's, there were people that had some horrible reactions to synthetic THC in France of all places where, uh, did you hear about this? Yes. Okay. So there are synthetic cannabinoids and there's this one medication that they made way back. It was called Ramonabant is what it was called. And basically what it did was it blocked receptors that typically THC would interact with. This was the sort of their reasoning. They were like, wait a minute, if THC stimulates appetite, if we block the receptor that THC stimulates, then we can suppress appetite. So that's what that medication was really used for. It was you know what they, built to block appetite, like a diet pill? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a diet pill. Uh-huh. But what happened was that people were starting to have suicidal thoughts and they had a big number of patients commit suicide. So they had to take that medication off the market. But it kind of also tells you the importance of THC. The reason we react to the chemicals in the plant is that we were already making these chemicals in our body. So I was just going to ask you about the endocannabinoid system. Can you elucidate Mm -hmm. on that? Yeah. So very simply put, you have receptors and then you have chemicals that react with these receptors. And these chemicals come from a couple different places, right? So two that I already mentioned, one is our own body. We have a chemical called 2-AG and anandamide, which were very recently discovered, that stimulate cannabinoid receptors. And then we have chemicals that come from the plants, which are called phytocannabinoids. And again, these chemicals also stimulate the cannabinoid receptors. And then you have 
uh, what you were referring to as the synthetic cannabinoids. So basically, it's the molecule recreated in a lab, you know, sort of like a Frankenstein version. But here's the problem. I've actually had patients, especially cancer patients, come into my office who've been prescribed the synthetic cannabinoids. And here's what's going on. They're getting more of the adverse effects than the medical benefits. And it's because you have just this one molecule concentrated, and that's the only thing that they're getting effect from. Whereas in the plant, you have a whole bunch of different molecules, a lot of which we don't know what they're doing, but we do know that they're working together to give medical benefit. And so these patients will say, you know, Dr. Patel, yeah, I was prescribed the Marinol, but I kind of like the plant better because I don't get the side effects from it. Right. So I think the integrity of the plant should not be destroyed. You guys, this is so interesting to me. And let me just give you a little um, backstory, Dr. Patel. So Mm -hmm. um, my mom suffered from first multiple sclerosis. So she was in a lot of pain and there was no cure for it at the time that we, we knew of. We were never taught about food or alternative medicine. And then she got diagnosed with cancer, most likely because she was on like 50 pharmaceutical drugs at the time for her multiple sclerosis. And she did get prescribed the Marinol as well. And she had high hopes for it because Mm -hmm. she's a former hippie. Like she knows what smoking weed is, you know. Your mom was a beautiful hippie. Yeah, she was. (laughs) And um, for her, nothing was able to alleviate her pain. And I know that marijuana, and including the Marinol, which is obviously the form of synthetic marijuana we were just talking about, how does marijuana that you prescribe relieve pain? Because I want to help people that might be in that situation that are like, I'm in a lot of pain because of I have a chronic condition or I have, you know, whatever it may be. How does it relieve pain and how can we use it for pain relief? Okay, so three different ways that I know of, okay? So the first way is that It modulates pain along the pain pathways. So let me simplify this for you. We have little receptors everywhere that signal to our brain that, hey, this hurts. So what the marijuana does is that it dampens these signals that go to the brain. And so your brain is not getting as many of these signals that, you know, you're hurting. So that's one way. Now, the second way is that it alters the perception of pain. And this is actually a way that I find most interesting. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to pain, we have a physical response. This part of the body hurts. And then we have an emotional response. Yes. And the emotional response is telling you this doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. It feels really, really bad. So what marijuana does, again, it dampens the signals to the part of the brain known as the amygdala. And that's what is involved in emotional processing of pain. So that's another way that it works. And then the third way is that it reduces inflammation Mm -hmm. at a very cellular level. So all these little components that are involved, what are called cytokines, cytokines send out signals to start and stop inflammation. It suppresses that signaling, okay? It also activates what are called T-regulatory cells. And these are cells that we have in place in our body to prevent an autoimmune attack. Mm -hmm. And then the immune cells that are actually attacking the body, marijuana reprograms them for what's called apoptosis. So it reminds them that, hey, it's time for you to die. Mm -hmm. It's working in many, many different ways. And this is sort of just surface level information that we have. There's a lot more, probably many, many more ways that it's working that we don't know of. And so you said that 
it reduces the inflammation. And is what is inflammation? Can I just get your definition? Inflammation is when, whenever there's an injury to the body, mm-hmm. it's like a repair mechanism, mm-hmm. right? So basically your body is sending off, you know, it's creating swelling in the area to prevent that injury from spreading. It's creating a lot of warmth to kill off the bacteria that may be there to prevent an infection. But what happens is that sometimes when inflammation goes array, right. it, you get chronic inflammation, right. right? Which is what you don't want. And then that causes chronic pain. And that's the cycle that you, you want to break out of is the, is the cycle of chronic inflammation. Does that, does that answer your question? It does. And I just wanted okay. to make it clear because I feel like there's so much misinformation about it, what inflammation really is. And the truth is, is that it is a response by the body to heal, but what it can become is chronic. And that is when disease begins, spreads and continues. And it's a bad sign that you got to do something. And so if medical marijuana can help that and can help with pain relief, I mean, to me, it's like a no brainer. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that we have chronic inflammation is because of what we expose our bodies to, right? So things like sugar, for instance, Mm -hmm. chronic exposure to sugar can cause you to be in a state of chronic inflammation. Right. And that can, you know, cause autoimmune attacks and, and, and all sorts of things. But yeah, like you described that, yes, it's a protective mechanism, but it can go away. And so I I asked you guys about the type A personality disorder earlier, and I was half kidding, but the truth is, is that I don't want to feel high. I don't want to feel unmotivated. I don't want to feel too relaxed. So what? You don't want to feel too relaxed? I mean, not when I'm trying to get something done. So as a medicine... Oh, um, how can, how can my, here, here's, Roxy's laughing again. here's my real question. You guys can laugh at me, but how can we use marijuana without getting high off of it? I think I know the answer, but I want you to answer. Well, what do you say? Wait, no, I'm going to ask it. Wait, no, I'm going to ask you like, a question. I don't want to be high all day. Well, I think it depends on what you're not ill as far as I know. Right. But I am asking on behalf of ill people and type A crazy people like myself. Well, if you have a type, I mean, type, you're not, type A, you're more like maybe overachiever, overworked, overthinking, not. You're, you're anxious. You're, you're anxious. An anxious person, right? You guys got um, me to a T, baby. <laughs> so, well, I'll just, I'll let Dr. Patel answer. She's our expert. Yeah. So basically, it has to do with one, the combination of chemicals that you're using, right? Two, the dosing that you're using as well, right? So, you know, if we talk about CBD and THC in very fundamental terms, it's the THC that's a psychoactive compound. And if you overdo that, that's when you're going to get the high. So basically, you don't want to overdo the marijuana. And also, if you don't want to get the high, don't use a product that's really, really high in THC. Um, and, that, okay. and that is very uh, subjective in terms of what is high in terms of a level. For me, it's the lowest, lowest, lowest. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So dosing varies highly from patient to patient. Um, and a lot of it has to do with how you're processing these chemicals. Most of marijuana is processed in the liver. You have machinery in there that breaks down the chemicals. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it's going to depend on that. It also depends on what, how many receptors you have for marijuana. So d- there's a lot of factors that we don't know of. But one thing I can tell you is dosing varies highly from patient to patient. In fact, you mentioned tinctures. So tinctures are basically drops that you put under the tongue. I have patients that benefit from just a single drop mm-hmm. of marijuana, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's enough to help them sleep. Interesting. 
And is that uh, enough sometimes for pain management or is that something that you would take a higher dose for? I think it depends on your type of pain, right, doctor? Actually, it depends on the individual more than anything else. Because also within individuals, people have different tolerances to pain as well, right? So it's very individual. It does depend on the condition, but it also depends on the individual themselves. Um, So what I'm helping them through is helping them to figure out their individual dose. And how can we ingest marijuana without smoking it? Lots of different ways. There's cupcakes, um, there's brownies, there's candies. <laughs> I know there's lollipops, there's drinks. There's so many ways. <laughs> okay, sometimes I just ask the question I know the answer to because I want, I know what Susie's going to say. You did that for me? Yeah, but oh, also Dr. Patel because I, I want to know what she has to say as well. I know. <laughs> I'm just excited about the topic. I know. Sorry, doctor. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm here for comedic value only, so, you know. (laughs) So, um, edibles, like you mentioned. And then there are also, there's vaporization, which is a method of inhaling where you're heating, their device is called vaporizers, and you're heating what's in it rather than burning, which is definitely better for the health of your lungs long term. Then there are, let's see, there's tinctures, like I mentioned. There are topicals. So these are salves or ointments that you apply to the affected area. And then there's also vaginal and rectal formulations of marijuana. Yeah, yeah. we just heard about the rectal formulations. I haven't come across those before. That kind of blew my mind. I don't know why, but it really did. Like I've heard of the vaginal ones, but woo, rectal? Uh, Someone told us it was a better way to transmit the chemicals into the body. And I was like, wow, I always thought of that area of the body is expulsatory, not, you know, something that's absorbing, but, but yeah, please go on. You know, it's going to depend on the condition. Like I I know patients who have like prostate cancer, for instance, that, um, who have pain in the rectal area benefit from that method more than, than other conditions. Mm -hmm. And how can cancer patients benefit from medical marijuana? So the main way that I found that cancer patients benefit is that a lot of patients who are undergoing chemo experience nausea, vomiting, uh, lack of appetite. They get nerve-related pain. They get headaches. So it helps a lot with the side effects of chemotherapy. Do you have any patients that choose the alternative route and don't go the chemotherapy route that you can help? You know, I, this is something I feel fairly strongly about. I don't make the claim that marijuana cures cancer. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is that there's really not much of a strong foundation for it. Now, we have a lot of research in animal models. And this research has shown that marijuana targets cancer cells in very specific ways, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's targeting the blood supply to the tumor. It's preventing cells from migrating and invading other organs, But we don't have enough information in humans. And quite frankly, in the humans that I've treated that have had cancer, you know, no one's really come back to me and said that, hey, it's cured my cancer. And really, you'll never even hear an oncologist say that chemo or radiation cured your cancer because cancer is very fickle. It can disappear for years at a time, and then all of a sudden it's back sort of thing. So I don't make that claim. Bob Marley died of cancer in his toe, and God knows that man was smoking a lot of marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I have a theory of about cancer. Do you guys want to hear it? Yeah. Okay. So I'm not a doctor. But from what I've read and from what I understand is that it seems like we have a gene in our body in our cells that the cells will explode or they implode if they're cancerous. 
and that if our body's overloaded with toxins, bad food, the list goes on and on. Factors, Environmental factors, negative thinking. Um, multifactorial. Right. There's many things that are going on that it's very much a person-by-person basis that you... I don't think they're ever going to find a cure for every single type of cancer in one pill or one treatment. They're not. It feels it's like... It seems like, it seems like... Yeah. Individual. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I completely agree with you. It's It's very, very... That each cancer is so different in its own way. And that's why we have so many different chemo agents. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's a big question mark. I think we need more information, definitely. We need more research. Yep. We need yep. more smoking marijuana. Yeah. We're imbibing <laughs> or vaporizing or rubbing it on. <laughs> and um, Dr. Patel, I'm sure that you have to keep a lot of your stories confidential, but are there any that you can share with us that can just give us some hope as to how this can really help certain conditions or um, how people have turned their lives around? Sure. So the most impactful case that I had was of a woman in her, I think, 50s or 60s. There was a history of rape in her background. Mm. So intercourse for her was emotionally very much of a painful experience. And she told me, she said, Dr. Patel, this is the only thing that allows me to relax enough where I can enjoy sex. Wow. So that was very profound for me. I mean, can you imagine how traumatic that is? You know, and it happened when she was 18. And, you know, here she was now in her, I think it was like 50s or 60s, telling me the story. Mm -hmm. So it can have a very profound impact on people's lives. It's a very real medication. Oh, I definitely agree. And we hear stories all the time. And I think Susie and Roxy both have their own stories. And I don't have a personal story, but my ex-boyfriend in college had this severe, what I would just call like, I don't like to classify things as a disease, but social anxiety disorder is what I would call it. And it could just be being a severe introvert. You know, I don't want to judge. But the only way for him to be able to smile and have a good time and be himself with his friends was to smoke marijuana before. And it sounds like, oh, like he was just like a college stoner. But no, because he could be himself with me. And he was like this wonderful guy. It's just so interesting that like drinking's fine. Drinking is okay. How many bars and liquor stores are so within walking distance? On every corner. Yeah, that's fine. But like, oh, marijuana. Like to me, the historical implications, the way that I was brought up in the family that I was brought up in where marijuana is just so bad. But drink, drink, drink. It's fine. And it killed people in my family. Literally killed people in my family. Right, right, right is so interesting to me and and where we find ourselves now. Like there's no doctors out there that's like, wine is a cure. No. (laughs) But there are hundreds of thousands of doctors that are helping people with marijuana. Yeah. Autistic children, people with cancer, people with anxiety disorder, Mm -hmm. people or social anxiety disorder. Type A personal. You're fishing for that. I know. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm going to try it maybe with uh, Dr. Patel's guidance. I'm a little nervous. I can say also to our listeners, and I'm going to share something here. This is kind of personal. Share it, Susie. Pretty damn personal, actually. Um, My experience is that when I've had some edibles that my, in a sexual way, releases inhibitions and, and also kind of connects you to your body where, for me, I've suffered from depression. And when I do, that part of me is cut off that I just mm-hmm. am not interested in sex. And this kind of liberates that. And I think that is such an important part of mental and physical health. It is. As an adult, period. So Yeah, actually, that's really interesting that you say that because I have a lot of 
postmenopausal women mm. and actually even men in their 50s and 60s that come in saying that, you know, I happened to use this one night and it helped my libido. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So so it does help. You know, it can be used very clinically. I, you know, I, I feel like it could even replace Viagra one day. <laughs> so, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of truth to, to what you're saying. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been a really eye-opening, interesting conversation for me. I hope our listeners feel the same way. And um, Dr. Patel, where can everyone find you online, learn more about you, possibly consult with you, all that good stuff? Sure. So I have a website, which is doctor abbreviated, and then my first name, R-A-C-H-N-A, my last name, P-A-T-E-L.com. And also, if your listeners have questions for me, I encourage them to visit my YouTube channel Mm -hmm. and post questions in the comments section, as well as my Facebook page, post comments there. Every one to two weeks, I'm putting out Facebook Live videos. I'm also posting videos on YouTube, answering a lot of commonly asked questions. I love that. Thank you so much for being that accessible. That's really helpful to people because I'm sure there's plenty of questions that we didn't even get to. And so I'm sure there are people listening that might be like, wait, what about this? And blah, blah, blah. So go to her Facebook page, go to her YouTube channel, ask your questions. You can also post questions to us and we will forward it to Dr. Patel. Do you have a tweetable for us? Yes, knowledge is power. Although that's probably been overused so no, much. No, it hasn't. We love it. <laughs> yeah, true. actually, okay. You know what? I, how I would really put it? Mm-hmm. I would really put it. Don't buy the bullshit that people try to feed you. Ah, oh, that's so much better. That's straight up truth. And then hashtag <laughs> knowledge is power. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Patel. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Hey, Food Heals Nation, connect with us on Facebook and our Food Heals Nation Facebook group at foodhealsgroup.com. In the group, we've got Tribe Building Tuesday. This will help you build your business and personal relationships. Plus, we've got Self-Promotion Saturday, where you can post your links to your business, your blog, your recipes, your healing story, anything you want. And we really love hearing your stories and answering your personal questions about health. So we hope to see you in the group. We love our Facebook. I know. And don't forget to join our mailing list to get 20% off upcoming Food Heals classes by going to foodhealsvip.com. Yes, our first class will be Podcast Greenlight, where we're going to teach you how to market and monetize your health, wellness, or spirituality podcast. Basically, anything in the wellness industry. If you want to start a podcast, we're going to help you out. That's coming up, too. And you'll also find out how to join our VIP club where you can get premium podcasts from us with never-before-heard interviews on the Food Heals podcast. Never before heard. Never before. (laughs) (laughs) Why do we think we're so funny? We are. Okay. I don't know if everyone would agree. (laughs) Follow us on social media at Food Heals Nation. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow my personal adventures at Allison Melody TV. For all the show notes from today's show, go to foodhealsnation.com. Thanks for listening. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to actually start using their $39.99 a month gym membership. If you experience any of these symptoms, Snapchat your trainer immediately. 